Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. If you are new or visiting with us, we are so glad that you chose to be with us this morning. If you've called Trinity home and all the way in a different century, um, we're really glad that you're still here with us too. And if you're somewhere in between, of course, uh, we're grateful to be able to share the morning together. Uh, as you just saw a promo for uh, something that we are offering again this March called the Marriage Course. It's a wonderful seven-week course designed to help strengthen your marriage, no matter how long you have been married. And I would just commend it to you. It is a wonderful time. It is an encouraging time. And it is one that is always needed. And so if that is something that might fit into your schedule, we would love for you to be a part of it. It is on Fridays, beginning in March, and uh, it will run through April 26th. There will be one Friday off for our Good Friday service, but otherwise it will be consecutive Fridays, uh, weather permitting and Lord willing. Um, and so we just encourage you to sign up on our uh, website if you want to be a part of that marriage course. If you happen to be in the stage of your marriage in which you have uh, a young family around you, we are offering child care during this session. And so we are removing uh, the reasons why you would dodge such a marriage course. So take advantage of it if a Friday night works for you. So again, highest recommendation for it, a wonderful course. You will benefit greatly from it. Again, welcome. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Job chapter 3. If you are visiting with us, if you are new, uh, we are in a series in Job, and we are, to all of us in this room, we're going into a very hard chapter. This is a very low point in Job, his life. And God, in his wisdom and his purpose, has allowed us to read and hear the heart of one under incredible suffering. In a dark place, sinking, agonizing anguish. We're going there with him. So it's a heavy chapter. Let's consider it together. Job chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no Joyful cry, enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Lathiathan. Let the stars of the dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. Nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the door of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? For when I would have lain down and been quiet, I would have slept and I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebel ruins for themselves or with 
princes who had gold and who filled their houses with silver. Why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling. There the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death but it comes not, who dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread. My groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Let's pray. As we consider such a heavy chapter as we consider suffering and its effects on the whole person as we wrestle with these things today and as we think about the real stuff in our own lives God, we pray for you to draw near to the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit as we consider your word would you help us to look upward toward you and to find in christ one who has conquered it all Oh, God, do this work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book, I'm Not Supposed to Feel This Way, a team of authors worked on it, and they captured the unique struggle of a Christian under the ongoing effects of suffering. That is, somebody who has put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus and are following Jesus. This is, they captured a dynamic of what that looks like. Maybe this is something that you can relate to. Quote, it is bad enough that I feel low or anxious, but on top of that, I feel guilty, for I, not, I ought not to feel low as a Christian. I feel that I ought to be able to cast my cares upon him, for he cares for me, First Peter 5, 7. And yet, somehow, I can't. It's a rhetorical question for one for you to think about. You don't have to stand or raise your hand. Please don't. you relate to that? Is that something that you know? Not only do you know the circumstances that have made you feel low and anxious, downcast, but on top of that, you've heaped on yourself a bunch of guilt because you know you ought to be taking all of this to the Lord. You should be doing much better than when you are, you think to yourself. And so you, you compound the lowness of your situation and the anxiety of your soul and the darkened despair that you're experiencing with guilt. You know that? As a Christian, that is a very big and real temptation. Because there's something about suffering that I want us to consider this morning. That the ongoing effects of suffering do not care who you are, what you have, or what you believe. The ongoing effects of suffering really doesn't care anything about your life. They are indiscriminate, equal opportunity life breakers. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, we certainly just read that in Job. Here we see a guttural, raw, 
crying out, a lamenting, a struggling. And the ongoing effects of suffering are constricting around Job's heart and squeezing out in this chapter this darkened despair and agonizing restlessness. That hits us. Makes us think of some of our own seasons of that. Or maybe it's hard for us even in this very moment because of the season that we're in right now. In all of it, it asks us, how can we endure such things? How can we endure such lasting effects of suffering? I want us to wrestle with that this morning. Before we jump in, I I do want to clarify one thing about suffering. The suffering that we're considering in the book of Job, the suffering that we're trying to apply to our own lives. I'm not talking about the kind of suffering that comes because of our own words, thoughts, attitudes, actions, and sinful choices. We can do stupid things and have stupid consequences that last a lifetime. That's not the kind of suffering that we're talking about. The kind of suffering that we're talking about that we read about in chapter 1 and 2 of Job is the kind that makes no sense comes out of nowhere, wrecks us, and then in its wake doesn't give us any answers. That kind of suffering is what we're considering. Just so that we're clear. You do something dumb, that's on you. (laughs) But life is hard and evil is real. And while God is in control, it is very mysterious for us. And sometimes life does not make any sense, nor the things that we experience. So that is the area or the arena of suffering that we're considering. As we do that, we want to be able to endure it. We want to be able to endure the effects of suffering. And and so this morning, I want us to wrestle with how do we go about doing that? How do we endure the effects of suffering? Well, my hope is that ultimately the hope secured through the resurrection of Jesus Christ will be for us the means for our endurance of suffering in this world. But I want us to get there by, by sinking down deep with Job. And as we do that, we are going to consider what are then the ongoing effects of suffering in this life. And then consider how we can endure them. So what are the ongoing effects? Well, the first that we find in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3 is a darkening despair. It's not just simply a darkened despair or a dark despair that we find in Job. It's a darkening, I-N-G. It's an ongoing and deepening and darkening kind of despair that he's experiencing. And as we see here from the very beginning of this chapter, mind you, in verses one, or chapter 1 and chapter 2, we found Job clinging to God in the midst of these overwhelming events and experiences that he was that befell upon him. He lost everything, and then, and then his body was, was breaking down all inside and around him. He was, he was in a, an overwhelming suffering situation, but he was clinging. The Lord gives and Lord, the Lord takes, but glory to the Lord. We sang a, a refrain of that just moments ago. So we see Job clinging We don't see Job clinging. We find Job despairing, wishing for an uncreation. Job begins chapter 3 cursing the day of his birth, cursing the day that he was born. Again, verse 1. 
After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. No, important, and this is important, he didn't curse God. If you recall from last week, or in your own reading of Job 1 and 2, Satan says, hey, I'm going to do these terrible things to Job, and guess what? He's going to curse you to your face, God. He's going to curse you to your face. Uh, Job 2.5 says, stretch out your hand and touch his bone in his flesh, and he will curse you to his face. Now, Job isn't cursing God to his face here, but he is anguishing and he's despairing over his life. And so Job wishes irrationally, I think that's one of the ongoing effects of suffering, is that it leads us to hold on to irrational thoughts. Irrationally, Job is wishing a day in the past would have never occurred. The day of his, the night of his conception and the day of his birth. He wishes that it never occurred. In verses 1 through 10, the repeated let is, is him bringing out of his own heart this curse. This, this my day, my life, my, my very existence is worthless. Therefore, the day of my birth is worthless. Again, the Old Testament word for curse means to say that something is worthless. And so Job is saying his life, his day of his birth is worthless. And as you go through those first 10 verses, there's a downward spiral of darkness of thought and of heart that is gripping and constricting Job. This is an ongoing effect of suffering. In these 10 verses, there are nine times you find dark or darkness or the removal or absence of light wished for. He wishes for it nine times. And the language that he's writing as and conveying this out of his heart is purposefully anti-creation. It's it's sort of taking the creation account from Genesis 1 and 2 and, and reversing it in a way. It's going from light to dark. It's going from form to chaos. That, that Job is expressing the ongoing effects of suffering in his life in such a way that he wishes the opposite of creation. He wishes that the dark and the chaos would return. Not light and the form and the shape that God brought. And what we find here. In these 10 verses is, is on display the darkening reality of despair and depression. And that that is indiscriminate and it comes to all. No matter what your faith or belief might be. The ongoing effects of suffering constrict and tighten around our heads and our hearts in such a way. That we would rather things be uncreated than created. Depression and despair on display in Job chapter 3. Depression and despair on display in our world today. My wife and I, we have friends who have spent decades, decades. I won't say how many because then that gives away how many decades I have. But decades serving in a campus ministry, seeking to reach college students. And they recently shared this in their most recent newsletter. Take this in. Perhaps the biggest change over the course of all these decades that they've served, one that is truly alarming is that mental health issues in students are at historic levels. 44% of students reported symptoms of depression. 37% said they experienced anxiety. 15% said they had thought about suicide, the highest rate in the 15-year history of their survey. There's no doubt that the young men and women on college campuses today need Jesus desperately. The world is broken and things are not going well. It's not going as it should be. 
And we are suffering under that. We're suffering under that. There are a variety of things that lead into that kind of suffering. But the ongoing effects of it is that it, it darkens our view of life. It darkens our view of self. It darkens our view of the world. It darkens our view of God. These ongoing effects are bringing the dark to bear. And it's overwhelming. And there isn't an age or a stage in life that is sort of kept from it. That's sort of inoculated away from it. It's sinking into all spheres and stages of life. And I think you feel it. Either yourself personally, you've seen it in your home, you've seen it in your family, in your friends, and your coworkers. Things are not well. And more and more are suffering under these effects. And it's a darkening despair. The other thing that we find in Job chapter 3 is not just a darkening despair, but we also find in the rest of the chapter, 11 through 26, this agonizing restlessness. An agonizing restlessness. There's a darkening view of life and the world, and there's this restlessness that's happening within. Here we find Job lamenting his life. Now, generally speaking, to lament just means to have an expression of sorrow, grief, confusion. And it's often associated with crying out to God for help or for God to act. To lament is to express outwardly our, our need, our situation, and, and also it's usually tied to God acting. The Hebrew word that's used for lament connotes expressions of wailing or crying out. So even just that word or that idea associated with lamenting is like there is something from within coming out expressively, loudly, purposefully. But it's going to God and asking God to act. Psalm 130 verse 1 is a good example of this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice, to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Lamenting, expressing, crying out. God, act. We don't find that with Job. Job's quote-unquote lament is not directed. He's not actually directing it anywhere. He's not saying it to his friends who sat with him. Quietly, and we wept with him. He's not directing it to God. He's not saying it to himself. It's just bubbling up out of him. So it's just coming out. Job's view is sinking in despair while his soul storms with this restlessness. Six times in these verses, he asks why he was born. In verses 1 through 10, he's saying, let that day not be exi- like no longer exist. He's cursing that day. But now he turns his attention to why was there even this day? His quote-unquote lamenting is like, why am I alive? And he looks to those who are already dead, and he assumes that they must be at peace. They're in a better place. And he closes his lament with articulating three things that are very Absent in his life, and one thing that is very present. In verse 26, so I'm somewhat of a culmination of this chapter. He says, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest. These things are absent from his soul. So what is present? Trouble comes. 
This chapter presents to us some very disconcerting things and also kind of presents to us things that seem like they should be contradictions. It's a certainly a disconcerting combination that Job is articulating here. He's having a sinking, darkening despair, yet a chaotic, restless upheaval. And you ask yourself, which is it? And the answer is, yes. The ongoing effects of suffering is yes. Both. Both. That's the twisted nature of the ongoing effects of suffering. They are seemingly contradictory, yet both very present. One of the aspects of suffering wants you to hide in the dark. It's as if you want darkness to be your blanket that you tuck yourself under and and pull up over your head and hide. Hide from the world. Hide from the things that have been hard and harsh in your life. You want darkness to hide you. And yet at the same time, you peek up out of your, your darkened blanket and you say, Hey, wait a minute, why? You want to hide? Yeah, you want to cry out, why? Both of those things at the same time. And, it, and this affects everyone, anyone. Believer or not. Follower of Christ or rejecter of Christ. Ambivalent, agnostic person just going about life. Or a devoted follower of Christ for 68 years. Does not care who you are, what you have, what you believe. And as such, people in the world, and whether they acknowledge God or not, are making the same kinds of observations of the ongoing effects of suffering in the life of somebody. I want you to consider the definition of trauma from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration. I know, I brought in a government agency, Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And I said the word trauma, which can be a triggering word for a number of reasons. One, we live in a world that's very reactionary and overreactionary to things. And so you hear the word trauma and you think, oh, not that. That gives people an excuse to not be responsible. And so that sort of ideology says nothing in the world is trauma. Or you hear the word trauma and that's like, well, that explains everything and anything. And so they look at life as everything is trauma. Well, both of those extreme views, nothing is trauma or everything is trauma, are not very helpful to the person who's actually experienced it. And so let us consider this observation. This definition probably been on the screen for a bit. Let's leave it there for a moment. It's a little bit to say and to get your head around. But when you do, I think you can also see Job 3 in it. Here's trauma. An event or series of events or set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening and that has lasting Adverse effects on the individual's functioning and mental, physical, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. That's a lot. I get it. But that's the nature of suffering. When we think of Job 3, did he not experience a series of events that are catastrophic? Beyond our total capacity to even understand how we would deal in such similar circumstances? And wasn't that experiencing that, that he went through overwhelming, impacting, and affecting the whole of his personhood? Physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all of it? Is he not there in that definition? The ongoing effects of suffering are severe and 
hard. They constrict. And as such, there's really no easy way around them or through them. There's no quick fix, no quick solution to such ongoing effects. We do want to ask ourselves a series of questions. What does this mean for how we view ourselves? If this is universally becoming more and more apparent, no matter who you are, where you are, what you believe, that these kinds of effects can constrict around our hearts, bringing about a darkening despair and and rushing up and, and agonizing restlessness. What do we do? What does this mean for how we view ourselves? What does it mean for how we care for others? What does it mean for how we cry out to God? If these are the real and lasting effects of suffering. And then ultimately, it leads us to ask, how can we endure them? If there's no easy solution, no quick fix, no way to dodge them, how can we endure them? Notice the question, how can we endure them? It it acknowledges its reality that there is suffering. How do we endure it? How do we endure it well? How do we endure it wisely? How do we endure these things? Well, first of all, we need to take into account the the story of Job. And here we are in Job chapter 3, and you're thinking to yourself, there are 42 chapters of these. What's the pace that we're going to be going at this? How long are we going to be here? Well, until every one of us suffers. No. Um, <laughs> sorry. And we're going to spend a, just a total of nine weeks in this. There's some interaction between Job and his friends that we'll sort of like summarize as we go through it. We'll slow down at the beginning and at the end because those are very important. But we're going to take the time to do that. But I want you to notice something. That Job is actually a book for your heart. All right? Job is a book for your heart. 95% of Job is written in the Hebrew poetry. It begins with a little prose and it ends with a little prose. But all of it in the middle, 95% of it is in poetry. Isn't that interesting? Poetry. This struggling over suffering, this wrestling over the why, this how do we endure, all of the things that suffering kicks up in us, God in his wisdom decided to tackle that through poetry. That means something. That means something. Let's not lose sight of that. That that our struggle is actually with the heart. It's in the heart. The heart is the seat of our deepest commitments and the things that we believe in. The Bible presents the heart as a place by which we live out of. So whatever's deeply in there, that's impacting the way that we live. We live out of our heart. Jesus said, whatever comes out of your heart, whatever your mouth speaks is coming out of your heart. And Proverbs says, keep your heart because all of the springs of life come out of it. So the heart in the Bible is the place that our deepest commandments and that which we believe. And as we wrestle with suffering, logic doesn't win the day when the ongoing effects of suffering constrict. Note how irrational Job was. He's wishing a day in the past was never, could never be uh, existing. That's not how that works. He curses a day that has long passed. So the nature of this isn't so much a head issue, it's a heart issue. And the heart needs hope. When the heart hurts too much to hope, it needs a hope that transcends the hurt. 
I'll say that again. When the heart hurts too much to hope, it needs a hope that transcends the hurt. Yes, suffering can last a lifetime. But for the Christian, suffering is not forever. We need that ultimate hope in the midst of days that are filled with the ongoing effects of suffering. And we look to Job and we find a poem. God is speaking to our heart. Now, as we look at Job 3, there's not a lot of glimmering hope in there. There may be a thread or two. Thread of two of hope in the despair. And the first thread is that you are not alone in the dark. How do we endure? Well, we, re- we have to rehearse to ourselves that we're not alone in the dark. Your circumstances and your present situation might feel very much like the dark. But you're not alone. Yes, Job doesn't give us much to hold on to, but he does mention that God is present, even if it is implied or feels distant. In Job 3.23, he says, Why is light given to man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? That may not seem like a whole lot of hope. And mind you, it's not for Job at this moment. But God is there. God is doing something. Job is aware. He's recognizing it. He doesn't understand. And he doesn't know the why. And he can't see how it all fits together. But there in the dark, in his darkening despair, and his agonizing restlessness, God's there. He's aware in some measure God is there. Even though it feels far from real for Job, he's not alone in his despair and his restlessness. And even if he were to sink even further into the dark, God is there. I was talking with somebody this week and they referenced Psalm 139. It's very relevant to Job 3. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, David, first of all, is in overwhelming circumstances. He's the author of Psalm 139 and he's crying out, he's lamenting, and he's wondering what in the world. And he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And he goes through this whole scenario. If I go to the highest heavens, you're there. And if I go to the lowest pit, you're there. If I go deep down into the dark, which is oftentimes an Old Testament association with death, even if I were to die and go to the darkest of dark, the death dark, that kind of dark, you're still there. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. He's talking about his own death. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Job may not be at the place where he can pull out Psalm 139 and say, yes and amen. But it doesn't mean that Psalm 139 isn't true and real and near. And that there are times in the midst of our suffering where we're going to feel very much like Job and not so much like David. But suffering brings about ongoing effects and sometimes one of those effects is that what we feel gets broken. Our feeler is broken. Because we can't feel The truth of Psalm 139, we think it's not real. The thread of hope in the midst of the dark is that you are not alone. 
even if it feels like you are. There's nowhere you can go in which God isn't already there. And there is no darkness too dark for God. He sees all, and his reach goes far beyond how far we sink. And his peace is far greater than whatever restlessness we struggle with. So we find that we are not alone in the dark. Job has some awareness. And he will gain a greater awareness as the chapters unfold. But Job is also in a book as a whole. We understand Job. We want to understand it in light of the story of Job itself. We want to understand it in light of the context of the Old Testament. That it's in the wisdom literature. And we're going to tackle that. We're we're going to see how Job is in a part of Scripture that God is wanting us to understand so that it shapes the way that we live our lives, even in the face of suffering. We also want to understand Job in the context of the whole of Scripture, the entirety of Scripture. And it's leading us then to see Job in light of Christ. Job in light of Christ. And when we look toward Christ, we see a greater experience than that of Job's. And we also then find one who provides a greater hope than the circumstances of ongoing effects of suffering. So when we look to Jesus, we see one who has overcome the dark and the agony. And among that, of the many things when we look to Jesus, pertinently relevant is that of the resurrection. Job is wishing for death. He's wishing he was never born. He'd rather be buried in the dark, not alive, than to deal with the ongoing effects of suffering. He looks to death as if it's a relief. And yet, what we find when we look to Christ is one who overcame death. Didn't hide in death. Didn't bury under the blanket of darkness. But actually went into it all the way down in order to come all the way out victorious. The resurrection actually does play a significant role in giving us some bearings in the dark and some sort of hope in the midst of agony. It gives us bearings. It gives us that glimmer of light that we follow out of the dark with. And the resurrection isn't some propositional theological argument that you're to memorize like a sales pitch of a pyramid scheme. No, the resurrection is life. It's light winning over dark. It's life winning over death. It's grace overcoming sin. The resurrection is God is victorious over the very things that we feel in our sinking despair and our agonizing restlessness. And when we see the resurrection, we see God's means of overcoming the dark. And we need that ultimate sense, that ultimate hope. Is our means of enduring the ongoing effects of suffering. Consider that great chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe you are unfamiliar with it. It's in the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul. And he was working out, not just theologically, but, but practically, for the way that we think and feel and live. How the resurrection means everything to us. There are a number of of moments in this chapter. It's an overwhelming chapter in the best of ways. But there are a number of moments in this 1 Corinthians 15 chapter that 
are helpful for us if we feel like we're sinking into darkening despair or if we feel that we're agonizing under this constant restlessness. In verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ didn't overcome death, then what are you hoping in? What are you resting in? What are you trusting? There's no point in any of this. If Christ didn't rise victorious over sin and the grave and Satan, then there's no hope for us in our darkened despair and our agonizing restlessness. But he continues to walk through how Christ, no, indeed overcame death. He, his resurrection is means for our present day hope. Because when we look to Christ, we find one in like in verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That Jesus is our ultimate victor over the very things that bring about profound and deep and lasting suffering in our lives. And he will conquer them all with the last one being death. Death is not a relief. Death is an enemy that Jesus conquers. Death is not a relief. The dark is not a relief for you in suffering. It is something that Jesus entered into far deeper than your experience in order to rescue you from it. The resurrection is our means of hope. And we know famously those words that toward the end of the chapter, again, sort of written as a, as a hymn that was sung or a poem that was recited. Again, once again to our heart, it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's asking, where is it? Because Jesus swallowed it all up. He took it all on and he overcame it. He conquered you. Even this false relief you offer to me is conquered because Jesus won. And that's where it ends. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that suffering is real. We cannot act as if it isn't. And that there may be many in this room have suffered most of their lives. Who have had bouts of darkening despair. Who have run empty under the chase of agonizing restlessness. And there are some in here who may experience that in overwhelming measure before their days are done. Suffering exists. This kind of suffering exists because the world has been broken by sin. But there is one who overcame that brokenness and one day will bring that victory to bear in full, forever, and final measure. Suffering may have long-lasting effects in our lives. But friends, suffering does not get the last word. It does not get the final word. Not for the Christian. Jesus does. And his final word is, I am making all things new. Let us rest in the final word of Jesus as a present day of comfort. Let us not lose sight of all that he has done and won for us. Even if we suffer now, suffering is not forever. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to see that. We thank you for your wisdom to 
allow us to enter into Job's darkening despair and agonizing restlessness. And we're honest, we find maybe ourselves in many of his words. Maybe we've expressed similarly in the face of anguish, suffering, and its ongoing effects. God, help us to be a people who make it easy to unburden our souls to you and to others and make it easy to feel as if it's safe to do so. Help us to be a people who will be like Job's friends when they arrived. They will cry out. They wailed. They sat. They said nothing. They prayed. They were present. These effects can hit us in different ways. And so even help guard us to protect protect us from ourselves and projecting our own suffering and our own experience of it on others. May we be much more compassionate and understanding when we think of the reality of suffering in this life. And may we be compassionate and purposeful when we think of the work that Christ has done and endured. Entering into the darkest of dark to bring light, to show that light reigns, to give us hope, even if it feels threadbare. Oh God, help us make much of it together. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your comfort. Comfort us in our time of need, we pray in Christ's name.